Welcome to the Face It Podcast. I'm Amy Lloyd. And I'm Amanda Lloyd. And we are here to have conversations with amazing people who have faced major life challenges or adversity head on. My mom and I hope their stories inspire you and offer relatable solutions that you can use in your life too. So So join join us and let's face it together. So this next interview is one we did in the very beginning, I feel like we've been doing this for a while now, yeah. even though we are new to <laughs> podcasting, doesn't it feel like it was so long ago it that does. we interviewed Amber? Yes, it really does. Uh, she is incredible. And we wanted to do an intro because Amber has so much going on and we're excited to share her story with you. And also, uh, hopefully you can hear in between all of our ums and (laughs) being new to interviewing. Yes. Just a warning. That's why we wanted to say it was one of our first, um, but Amber was one of the first people that came to mind as well to interview because she has helped us out with our nonprofit face it today and done a couple workshops with us and our young girls teaching them how to cook. Um, but we thought it would be so cool to have her on the podcast to discuss her journey and why she got into that and why she's passionate about it. So That's right. And she's so inspiring because of her own things that she's overcome mm-hmm. in her life. And that's why she now can give back and share and inspire and motivate others with her story. Yeah. I just love that she still makes comfort food healthy. <laughs> it's like the best thing ever. <laughs> All right. Enjoy. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're going to dive right in here. And we're so excited today to have Amber Cottle, who is a great friend of mine, who also happens to be a chef in Los Angeles. Amazing. Uh, She has two restaurants, one in the beach community of Hermosa Beach, California, and another in Manhattan Beach, California. She is also an author and creating her own television show. So what I know is, is that there isn't much Amber can't do. It's if she doesn't want to do it, she, it's because she wouldn't want to do it is why she wouldn't do something because this woman can just about do everything. Um, so Amber, we're so excited to have you here. And we want to start by um, going back a little bit and talking about your journey and your path to today, because I know it wasn't always easy and... Um, However, you've led this very multi-passionate, purposeful life as you do today. But let's go back and start with, can you share with us where you grew up? Where I grew up? Yes. Yes. So I grew up in the South in Atlanta. I'm from Georgia. I'm a Southern girl. And I technically wasn't born in Georgia, but I would say I'm from Georgia because we moved there when I was about two and a half. So I was raised in Atlanta. My parents were are from Minnesota and Michigan. And then we were in Santa Barbara, California for my dad's photography school. So they're hippies at heart. So they're not this, I didn't grow up in a typical Southern household though. I was raised in the South. In the South. Okay. And, um, when I, and I know a bit about your history, but we just want to make sure to talk about, so what was it like growing up and when did you start to realize there might be, you know, some things with food? Because I feel like there's always a story, right? With every chef, there's a story and I know you have yours. So tell us a little bit about that when, um, like, what did you learn about food early on? Were your parents great cooks and chefs or bakers or? 
Yeah, so I actually learned to cook from my grandmother. My mom's joke is always like, um, I don't know why you would choose to your profession as a chef and be stuck in a kitchen all day. Like my mother does not like to cook. So I started cooking with my grandma at the age of three and there's pictures of me making pies with her. And I just remember being always, always the grandchild that was always in the kitchen with her, with her breads and pies and cookies and cakes. And then learned her traditional dishes like meatloaf and mashed potatoes and brown rice. And then I started to like re, you know, implement those and create those as a very young girl, like nine, 10, 11. And so my fascination growing up was through one of my aunts on my dad's side of my grandma, but then I was always I had my nose in like cooking magazines and cookbooks and like some of my favorite childhood books. I remember like Anna Green Gables and like Little House on the Prairie. Like I love those books, but I would always reread like the food scenes at a very young age. Like when they were like describing the food and setting the pies on the table, I'd like reread it, reread it. And then my parents sent me to a, like a young kid's culinary school for a week where my dad went with me and it was a week and I was like nine or 10. And I, so that was my first, like oh, in terms cool. of culinary and, and cooking and stuff, I was always like head first obsessed with food. And I always joke and say, I came out of the womb hungry. Like I was always freaking hungry. And in terms of the other, so there's two sides for my, the food journey for me. There's me as a chef and my fascination and obsession and passion and drive for the culinary field and industry and how beautiful food can be. But then also I became extremely hungry for food as a numbing tool and as and comfort as my best mm. friend. And that started, that story started around like eight years old. So wow. I've got, it's like two sides, right? Yes. Like God granted me this gift as a chef, but I mean, I wrote a book on it, what I can share later. Um, but then I, here I am struggling with food and it started at a very, a very young age, my struggle with food, my body dysmorphia. I mean, all, all the things with food. So, and was that the, um, was that before or after the culinary school that you were sent that to? Was, that was before. Before. So I was, okay. Yeah, I was around eight. And I remember going over to my friend's house, you know, in the South. I mean, my mom was making us quinoa and like sugar-free lemonade and all the things. And I'd go over there and it was biscuits and gravy and different sweets and pastries and I would, and pop tarts and sodas. And I was like, what, you guys can have little Debbie's. And so I started to like fast. I was, I was completely obsessed and fascinated with it. And then used to sneak the food and overeat over there. I'm sure those families thought that my parents never fed me um, because then I started to like sneak the food at their house and then eventually bring it to my house. And I started to sneak the food and I didn't really know that that wasn't, there was anything weird about that. I mean, at eight, nine years old. Right. That's what I was yeah. going to say is that, um, what made you realize there was something wrong or what was it now that obviously you could look back and yeah. I'd love to hear it from your perspective of your eight, nine year old self that were you not allowed to have the little Debbie's, which is, I yeah. know is a treat in the South, right? Which, yeah. which we don't have on the West coast, but, um, were you weren't allowed to have that stuff at home so you exactly. would okay so you yeah. wanted them at at your friends and when was it that you realized you were using food to numb like you said already at that oh, young of an age probably not honestly probably not until really late middle school or okay. like high school you know i just thought that i was hungrier than everyone and that i had a sweet tooth more than everyone and i was hungrier than my than my sister and my parents right they were thinner i mean and when i look back at at pictures, I wasn't fat or even chubby. I just, I had developed breasts and a booty faster. I started my period earlier. And so comparing myself to other girls in, you know, 11, 12, 13, I mean, everyone was like stick figures and I was wearing a bra before everyone. And so I didn't realize I started to numb with food mm. probably honestly until like that 13, 14, 
when I started to become really obsessed and self-conscious with my weight and started to weigh myself and wanting to exercise and diet, um, then I realized I had been uh, started to use food as comfort. Yeah, probably. What do you what do you think contributed to that realization? Was it were you getting bullied in school because you did look differently? Mm -hmm. Okay. No, there was never any bullying. Nobody ever told me I needed to lose weight or that I was fat. I honestly hanging out with all my skinny thin friends and the dancers, nobody ate. Ah, so like, okay. I was so hungry until I got around my grandparents and I was allowed to eat with my grandma or like my cousins, but nobody, I was like the a bigger eater. My best friend I grew up with and my sister, they didn't eat. I would like finish their food. My parents weren't big, big eater, eaters. I was like the big eater and I was, had a big appetite for life and for, right. and I just, and the sweet tooth, right. I just started to realize. And so I think I became maybe more self-conscious and aware that like, oh, I'm eating more than all the other girls or I'm eating more than my families and maybe I shouldn't and maybe this is bad mm-hmm. and maybe it's going to make me fat. You know, all the stuff starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody ever like bullied me or anything. It was more and yeah, and no, yeah, it was more, more of yourself putting yeah. the pressure on based yeah. on your surroundings, your friends. Exactly. And compa- what- that comparison, right? Yeah. And- 12, 13, 14, 15. I mean, the deadly comparisons. I mean, I'm looking around and everyone by zero and I was probably a six. And to me, a six was fat. I mean, I felt fat. So it was like, well, shoot, I need to be skinny like all these other girls. And that means I must be eating too much food, right? So that's that started. And the dieting started early. I mean, I started dieting at around 13, 14. That's what I was going to ask. And that was self-imposed. Your parents didn't put you on a diet. You put yourself on a diet. Myself. My mom was supportive, but she, okay. she allowed me to like go on like the chicken and green bean diet. And like, I, I don't even know. There were some crazy things. That so was like, it that what it was, it was you were looking up diets that you thought might work because yes. at this point you weren't obviously cooking your own meals for yourself oh, no. and able to yeah. substitute. So yeah. you were doing like these crash diets you could find. Crash diets. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, lots of restricting. That's when the restricting started because the body dysmorphia. So in high school, I started to overexercise and um, really towards the end of high school, my overexercising became pretty crazy. And then the, uh, the binging and restriction, restricting starting, it was more restricting and starving myself and dieting in high school. And I could hide it pretty well because I was young and metabolism and active um, and still pick at the foods I wanted. And then in, in college, it really like hit like a tornado. Oh God. And did your parents know at that time in high school when you were starting to binge and really restrict, they didn't, you were able to hide that. Oh yeah. So I remember getting my my driver's license and I remember being able to drive to Krispy Kreme and drive to McDonald's and get my food and eat it in the car on the way home, throw the trash out the window and go home and eat with my family. Right. And then I would like hide food, like in my bedroom. Right. So Yeah, it started definitely at like 16. I didn't. And then when I went over to my friend's house, I could gorge on whatever I wanted because everybody else was eating crap and I could just kind of like eat hide it and hide it. Nobody really know. Right. Yeah. Was Question, it constantly, it's like, sorry, mom. Yeah, go was ahead. It just constantly consuming your mind though. I mean, from oh, that oh 14, 15 on, oh that's all you were thinking about. It seems it's like. It. That's it. And in my mm. book, Hungry, that I wrote, I really was like, if I could take back all the hours that I've spent obsessing over my body, what I'm going to eat, what I shouldn't eat, how much I weigh, 
hating my body, body dysmorphia. I mean, I'd have another lifetime. I mean, that's, right. I was completely a hundred percent consumed. It's amazing. I've created what I've created in this life because all of my energy went towards my body and food for three decades until finally I was like 38 and I was like, enough is enough. We got to stop right. sanity. And it got worse, right? Like, so it got- In college. It got really bad in, in college. And yeah, just, it progressed from there. Like the binging, the restricting, the purging and the over-exercising and diet pills and laxatives and getting addicted to colonics and enemas and then exercising four hours a day and then starving myself and then taking a diet pill and then drinking too many, um, you know, too much coffee to, to block my appetite with cigarettes, yeah. like, you know, and then I got into the drugs and it's like, well, maybe if I, if I do drugs and I won't be hungry. Right. So like, and did that work for you? Oh yeah. It yeah. Was a while until I like was a disaster and hit my rock bottom and blew up my adrenals. And that's what a cycle, Amber. Oh, and that's cycle. what I'm curious yeah. about too. As yeah. it started getting worse and worse, was it harder to hide it or was nobody, was there a point even in college or after that, where somebody actually said something to you no. that was in your life okay so it's no. truly all just you yeah so i came out with my eating disordered eating eating disorder about um eight years ago okay. and um i finally came out about it and my family was shocked and my best friends that had actually lived with me were shocked because i would like i mean all the classic disordered eating eating disorder behaviors of stealing people's food eating it hiding the trash going to the store buying other ingredients to replace their foods so they don't know. I mean, my, my roommates never knew. They had no idea, especially because you're, you hide the trash. It's basically like an alcoholic, but with food. And right. I did that, you know, nobody knew. And also because of my over-exercising, I was able to hide, you know, I was able to hide my weight, hide my disease and I restricted. So I'd starve myself for a week and then I'd be able to pull off a couple binges and then I could go exercise for, for, for right. four hours. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, I think at that point too, it was probably normalized. I mean, I'm sure other girls were also exercising and no one's oh, really yeah. looking at each other. They're so yeah. in their own world. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Such a, such a self-absorbed age, right? The oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, like you said, like no one knew and everybody else was partying. So it's not like it was weird that I was doing drugs and dabbling and, and drinking too much alcohol and caffeine. I mean, everyone, that's, that's what we were doing. Yes. I mean, Gosh. And that's, that's yeah. such a vicious cycle. Like you said, Amanda, and be, I just wanted to go back for a second. And is there anything now, Amber, looking back that could have helped prevent you prevent this spiral? And it, it's definitely not your fault. It's like this vicious cycle. And I'm wondering, is there anything that could have been done like by your parents or, um, you know, going into therapy or educating education yeah. about food? Yeah. Is there, or was this something you had to go through? You know what? I mean, I feel like I, we have to go through everything to put us yep. where we are now. Right. Because I wouldn't probably have my restaurants or my books or being able to share and do all these things that I'm doing now, if it wasn't for the hard time in my life to put me in that rock bottom. But I yeah. do have to say that what would have been helpful, um, yes, therapy, I didn't talk to anybody about it. So like I kept that secret for 30 years and there wow. wasn't like a support group for like young teens with disordered eating and in the high schools, you know, I mean, that was, mm -hmm. I mean, I graduated in 94, right now, I'm sure there's support groups that are well known that girls can go out and be like, oh, well, I have a secret. I don't want to really talk to my parents about it, but I didn't know about any of that. I mean, yeah. I eventually went to 12 step to help me kind of like straighten it out, but I didn't know about 12 step when I was in my 20. I didn't even know about it. Right. So um, I think just keeping the secret like that and like therapy, I never really went to therapy. Um, yeah. I mean, 
and more education and more talking about like now, right now, you know, we're so lucky. There's so much body positivity talk and so much, you know, there's so many um, different like um, organizations that support people with eating disorders and disordered eating on the web. There was like nothing like that. I know. And yeah. I think you're right. There's more of it now. There's more of it. I still don't think there is outlets for people that are in, in that in that cycle themselves. But I think people are more open to talking about things than yes. like when we were growing up. But unfortunately, now there's all those unrealistic comparisons that we're all still, still guilty of doing. Yeah. And that's yeah. what yeah. the social media yeah. world has done too. Exactly. Um, it made that's me think, Amber, too, was there any, like even growing up with your siblings, your parents, was there body positivity talk or negative negativity mm-hmm. talk but was there any of that to even make you you think you were you know different or had to look this certain way or like did your mom talk about her weight ever was it ever a thing within the family you know what so nobody ever told me again that I was fat or needed to lose weight it definitely was encouraged to exercise for sure we definitely ate healthy my mother it was really important and we definitely we definitely talk, talked about you know portions and stuff um my sister, mom, and dad did not eat as much and they were thinner. My dad was a photographer and always photographed like thin models. So mm. there was always this, he always had thin models around. So there was kind of that going on. I was also bigger than all my dance friends that when we danced together and I was slower at sports because of my boobs. And no, I think maybe my dance teacher once probably was like, I, my boobs or something were too big for one of these, this jazz thing we were doing, but you know, my mom was literally really thin and she didn't eat at like that much at all. So probably I started to compare myself to my, to my mother mm-hmm. um, and my sister, but yeah, in terms, so maybe like subconsciously it was, it was in the field, but nobody was like, you're fat. You need to lose right. weight. You want to of diet. But definitely being active and eating healthy was a very big theme in my household. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think that's a great point is that it wasn't directed at you directly but indirectly through maybe yes yeah i want to say so and i wrote this in the book because i you know my mom and i've had a lot of heart to hearts about her not feeling blamed for this Mm -hmm. and what i've learned through like healing is that you know this is not happening to me it's happening through me um and for me to help me clear other past generations and trauma and so when i look at my both of my mom and dad's side my grandparents it was all about being skinny and counting calories. Mm-hmm. Well, I would show up at my grandparents and they would say, oh, look, you know, Amber looks like she's lost a little weight. Mm. Oh, you're doing such a good job. You're so pretty. And then I I would show up a little heavier and nobody would say anything. So then I associated um, skinny with pretty and being good. And yep. literally one of my grandmas was like, oh, it looks like Amber's put on a little, little weight. It mm. was always like, how many calories does that have? So that was not yes. in my household, but that was on both of my grandparents. I think that is so important to note because I think the lesson there is, and as adults and as parents and being around children, what we say matters and sticks. I remember comments made to me like that and it is, it sticks. So that is a huge point. Yeah. I know it's, it very much resonates. I was thinking about that mom. It's not like, it's not like the people you're around are purposefully doing that or making you feel that way. But yeah, you can think back like, I remember one summer my mom was gone. My grandma fed me a lot of snacks while she was gone that summer, Amber, and I gained 13 pounds. And I remember that because there were all these comments about me being a little more chubby. <laughs> and it's just yeah. those little things that yeah. they kind of stick with you. They and stick. you're right. 
it's not um, intentional of those people, but it gets to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your point. It's not happening to you. It's happening through you and for you. And for me. And for you. And so, so now you're in college and you're, it's spiraling, right? And what then was your inspiration or motivation or insight that you think I'm going to go to culinary school? So I knew when I was in college in Auburn, I went, I graduated with hotel restaurant management about six months in. I was like, no, okay. mom, I want to go to culinary school. I always knew I wanted to mm-hmm. at the business direction and I, I had an out of state loan. And so I, I graduated, but the whole time I was like, I got to go to culinary school. I knew it. I knew it since I was like 17. Like I knew in high school, I wanted to be a chef. I've always known I wanted to be a chef. It was the only, it's the only industry I've ever been in. And so we waited till I graduated and I got a couple years like working in the front of the house and then started my journey towards finding um, a chef to apprentice center. Yeah. That's amazing. But I always knew, I knew through my whole years in college, like I worked at a restaurant. I was always in, I was more involved in the kitchen and then the front. Like I was just, I've always had my hands in, in the food through college cooking for friends. Like I always knew it. And like you said, I mean, destined it is, it, it yeah. is right. Yeah. Divine. And, um, was there someone that you looked up to or were inspired by and motivated that kind of helped pull you through to, you know, to emulate or that, you know, you look to as an expander in that career, in that field as you were just starting out or even not in that career, I guess it doesn't need to be in that field. Yeah. I mean, I was, when I finally was in culinary school or um, apprenticing at my restaurant, I had my two chefs were extremely inspired. Okay. Inspired me, mentoring me, um, hard on me. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely hard, but I knew I was in the right place and it was amazing. And then I had some really great colleagues and friends there in Colorado at the time that even if it got really hard and I wanted to quit, they were like, you're amazing. You've got this. Keep going. So I definitely had that encouragement. And then my family was really supportive. They were like, I bet. this is it. Like you're, this is your dream. This is what you want to do. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned that you really have just come out about your, your, the body image issues and the food issues eight years ago. So when you became, when you started working as a chef and like you said, front of the house and then in the kitchen, um, did it compound your issues? Do you feel like juggle those? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot to juggle. So again, right. So I was executive chef and cooking my butt off and working 80 hours a week Mm. when I moved to LA for those first 10 years. And while I was doing that, I was deeper in my sugar and caffeine addiction, more alcohol and like diet, diet pills and the binging and restricting. And again, mm-hmm. I could, I managed it, but it's exhausting. I mean, I had a full-time job and then I was managing this disordered eating cycle. And again, I hit it. Nobody, nobody knew it. And so I would say it compounded it because if I, because now at this point I had all the booze, sugar and alcohol and food available to me 24 seven. That was free. I could eat whatever I wanted. It's not like I had to pay for it. So yeah, it got, it got, it got wild. It got wild. Okay. And plus it got wild in the fact that I would put out a new menu and I would decide to go on like a fast or a cleanse and people would be like, what's wrong with you, chef? I wouldn't even eat my own food. I'd go through those phases. Okay. (laughs) Like, like who puts out, what chef puts out a new menu fasting? Like I was like, no, y'all fasting. I'm not eating for 10 days, putting out a new menu. Like a sexy ass like, menu, like lamb. You gotta and try it. Yeah, you're like, oh, I don't want any of it. <laughs> I, tried, I tried it to create it, but when it finally came out, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not tasting any of this. I'm, 
So what was the turning point then? Uh, I mean, was it like, what was your worst day or what was that epiphany? Because you're juggling this career and, you know, doing your, your binge eating and restricting. And so what hit you where you were like, this has to change? Yeah. So this, um, basically the turning point for me, I've had two big rock bottoms, I guess a bunch, but the two big ones, the first one was when I was at my first restaurant at Atronio and I had torn both of my hip labrums and really only athletes do that. It's because of my over-exercising and overworking. And so I decided to go in for a hip scope and had hip surgery on one hip. And then the doctor said, let's do the right one also. And I said, no, and something woke me up. I also was like inflamed, swollen, overweight, in pain, unhappy, fatigued, tired. I mean, I was just bloated. I was just mm. all the things. And I finally was like, okay, I'm not happy at this job anymore. Something is changing to me. I've been abusing food my whole entire life. I don't want to feel like this in my body. And so I went away to a week here spa in the desert for a week. And I basically had my my awakening, okay? Mm. And from there, I started to hear a voice saying, you can heal yourself with food. Started to get into Beth Burke, meditation, all the things. And I was so desperate to feel better. I was so, I, I love the saying, so I was so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Like I was over it. Like I really it took everything for me to get up in the morning and drink the three cups of coffee to get in to start the cycle again mm. and so i knew i didn't want to have my other hip surgery i knew i could heal myself with food but there was a book um healing by david elliott that i always mention because it's like the book that started my journey and in the book he opens up with it's all about self-love and it said list all the ways you love yourself and i literally put like one to two things i can probably find my journal still mm. and i remember crying and crying and crying i was fasting right and doing all the detoxing and all the emerging yeah. work. And I was like, what is happening? And so then I started to really get connected with God and source and my intuition. And that's when it all just cracked. And then I came back from that and was so hungry for change that that's what started to drive me towards the creating a manifesting source cafe. Um, that's a very short story, but that, that started the, the journey of opening up the source and leaving that big job of 10 years as executive chef and making it, a massive lifestyle change and knowing if I could heal myself with food, other people wanted to heal with food, but right. I was healing myself with food for inflammation and pain and adrenal fatigue, but I was still deep in my eating disorder until I opened up Source Cafe and I had my second rock bottom. And that's when I was like, just extreme, severely depressed where I couldn't get off the couch and I wanted to die and like severely, severely depressed. And that's when I finally found the will and God led me to 12 step. And that's when 12 mm. step helped me start the first step towards yeah my helping me with my eating disorder and disorder and loving myself yeah that's yeah and i don't think everyone realizes that you could use 12 step for for eating right as well yeah it's called um oa okay yeah it's anonymous and i used it for binging and all of it i mean yeah yeah compulsive overeating i didn't realize how like sick i was with with my disease and I was like wow I thought it was normal to like throw food in the trash and sp spray it with cleaner and then dig back in the trash and try to like eat around it to find that like last cake right yeah. I was like that's normal right yeah right <laughs> oh so my gosh that you're sharing it though well and I, I know we know Amber obviously the source is um healthy eating it's food that nourishes yeah. your body mm -hmm. and I'm just curious is it yeah it's all vegan um I'm just it's curious not all if that's no, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I have all. I have cool. To, okay. Yeah. But I do know just obviously having known yeah. you and you joining our class that that's what it's focused on. Were you cooking um, that way before or since your first rock bottom, did you kind of, did you kind of completely revamp the, the cooking yeah. style? 
Yeah, so everything got revamped. So basically okay. what happened is I was trained Southern Classic Italian and Northern Spanish. And, and then I started to take the sexiness and passion for that food and fuse it with um, gluten-free. And yes, like my baking started to be all dairy-free. I got into vegan because basically I would go to naturopaths and acupuncturists and homeopathic doctors and they would say, don't eat these 20 things. And so I was like, okay, well, as a chef, how can I be creative? And that's how the source really was born is because I was on this health journey and I could not eat so many things. I was like, I will never be restricted. Food is my life. I love food. And so my creativity started from that, right? Mm. So then I start to, oh, okay, I could have, make pumpkin seed butter if I can't have almonds right now. And then, oh, okay, I know Calora can help with the heavy metals. And like, I just dove head first. And at that, that part, that point, I knew I was giving up a little bit of meat at the point because I needed to do some detoxing and cleansing. And so I got more into plant-based food and knowing also that we don't eat enough fiber. I wasn't eating enough fiber. And I got really passionate about showing how beautiful vegetables can be and plant-based food um, while fusing my passion for Italian cuisine. So I was kind of all over the place, but I think that what, that's what makes the source unique is I've got superfoods and right. Foodies, but then we also um, have, you know, pizza made out of broccoli and brown rice. We make our own almond ricotta out of almonds. And so, yeah. Yeah. The Source Cafe is amazing, and that's where I I was going into the Source Cafe for years before I even met Amber yeah. because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a place I can go to get healthy food that's going to nourish my body, and so um, I'm so grateful. And to just to hear your story, Amber, behind seeing the Source Cafe because you really are the most body positive, confident woman that I know and so vulnerable and so open with your story. And so it's really, as I know, you know, this, as you share more and more and more, and we want to hear more about your book is, um, it, it makes a huge difference, right? That we get to see yeah. your face and who is behind the source cafe and your passion. And you also opened your second restaurant in Manhattan yeah. beach during COVID that is a full restaurant. Yes. And so what was the impetus behind that to do that during COVID? Yeah, well, we got, yeah, so God threw us a bunch <laughs> for sure. During that, we were going to open up, obviously, before COVID hit, like January or December, right. and then everything slowed down. And we, my partners and I, we just, we just kept driving forward. And I knew that, I knew that we could do it. It was so scary. And it happened. It happened in July, right in the middle of all of it. And we were just so in it that it was like, well, there's no turning back now. And I was so excited to bring the source um, food to the community of Manhattan Beach. But I really envisioned, I'd already always envisioned having a full restaurant where I could fuse a little bit of my Mediterranean style food and also having wine and beer, but all the wine is organic, biodynamic and having mocktails and stuff like that. So um, yes, a little over a year ago, we, we opened almost a year and a half. So it's, it was, it was wild. It's so, so amazing. Cool. Yeah. And the name of your book, Hungry, I mean, how perfect is that? Yes. <laughs> hungry, so it's like hungry all in caps and underneath is why I effing eat with an asterisk with the U because it's I like, it. I eat. Yeah. I mean, I'm hungry for life and love and opportunity and all of that, but I'm also like hungry. And right. so, <laughs> and I eat when I'm happy and sad and excited and lonely and all the things. And so in the book, I share as I'm sharing now, very vulnerably. But then I also give tips mm. and tools on how I've created a healthy relationship with food in my body, which has been a major journey. And that's been really my journey the last three-ish years, three and a half years of really diving headfirst into, you know, healing healing this relationship. And it's a daily thing. I mean, I still do it the day at a time. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. Sorry, Amanda. 
Were no, you gonna, go um, that there is a theme. Are you, is there a theme that find that you find works for you now, right? When you do hit those bumps in a road, um, owning your restaurants, having such a, um, a huge staff that you take care of and, um, yeah. that are reliant on you. Is there a theme now that you go to, um, when you do hit those challenges? Okay. Yeah. So when I hit my challenges and I'm in my lows, I definitely have learned over the years to pause and to lean in, to mm. really lean in and know that this is definitely going to pass and that I don't have to become because of human design, which we can't, we'll have talk That's later. a whole nother podcast. Another, another podcast. <laughs> yes. so what I learned through that is knowing like, I don't have to become these lows and these challenges mm. are coming up for a reason. And what can we learn? What can I learn from this? And I feel like for me in the past, I would go immediately to self-numb with alcohol, food, or drugs, whatever. And it's like, no, I get to sit in this and look. Because mm -hmm. for me, every I write in my book, every time I can detach and observe when I'm in the load and in an uncomfortable moment in life without numbing, there's so much gold on the other side. There's That's where the, that's where the gold and the light is. It's getting through it. It's really uncomfortable. And sometimes those lows feel like they're never going to end. But when I'm on the other side, it feels really, really amazing. And there's always so much clarity. So, I mean, the business challenges and lessons and like mistakes and risk and all the failures, like so many painful moments, or even with food, if I'm having a day where I'm like, oh, I feel bad, but it's like, okay, this is, you're just tired. What do you need? Maybe you need a nap, you need a walk, water. What, what do you need? Like call a friend. Like there's just, it, now I can like become more present and aware of it. But I mean, that took, that took a lot of time and work yeah work. that's what i was going to say and like watching yeah. you and sitting back and that that's the theme i see even just over the past couple of years is um pulling in your self-care tools yes and that and like you just said yeah. and sitting in it and allowing that space yeah. it's, it's really yeah. beautiful. allowing the space and like yeah. you said like self-care tools mm. i mean i did not have any probably four years ago i mean i I did it. It was spotty, but now it's like, for instance, my meditation practice, my transcendental meditation, I don't, that's a non-negotiable. I do it twice a day. That is not, and, and, you know, going through those challenges and going through those lows and hard moments in life, I would not be able to do without meditation and meditation keeps me in faith. So I always say like, okay, are you going to choose faith today or fear today? Because mm. you can't live in both at the same time. And so let me lean into this without going and burying my head in the sand with vodka and cookies, right? Right. And, yeah. into this and breathing and knowing that I'm going to be okay. And this is happening for me right now. And, you know, that's self-talk. And like I said, with the self-care stuff, it's like, well, maybe I need to call, I need to take the day off. You know, I never yeah. would have done that two and a half, three years ago. Like, you know what, y'all, I'm taking the day off. Or, you know what, I used to feel guilty for taking naps. No, I need to nap. Or... I mean, the list is, right? Okay, I'm yes. going to go get a massage and not feel guilty about the splurge. Or I'm going to go get a facial and not feel guilty. Or I need to take three days off. Like I'm not, I've burnt out. And then my work weeks get better and my boundaries and all this has been through working with a coach and, you know, going inward and yeah. It's so a lot. Great. You know that, you know, the tools that work for you though. Yeah. And you, you know, you need the time for them. Yeah. So that, that speaks volumes. And I was going to ask, since now you do have the tools and you have two restaurants and um, you're this successful, incredible chef, what's, what's next for you? What is next for me? So, okay, I have a couple exciting things. So I have two books that I finished in COVID. Um, my cookbook will be out first, Sexy Nourishing Food to Fuel Your Mind, Body, and Soul. That is 90% plant-based because I wanted to show how sexy plants can be and we don't get enough fiber and then there's a section called bison eggs and fish <laughs> so that's basically what i, I eat love so that's it. Coming out 
that's been a three-year project that comes out in January and then Hungry Why FDME will be out in the summer. So that's very exciting. There'll be like a journal with that stuff. And then the mo- the other exciting thing, which is a huge project right now that I'm focusing on for the next 30 days is I'm going to be producing a cooking show called Halicious and it's going to be um, filmed in January that will come out spring 2022, It'll be 10 episodes. We'll air it on YouTube. We'll stream it on air to YouTube. And I'm going to have guests on that are making paradigm shifts in, in the world. And then I'll be having cooking segments, obviously. And then I'm going to be showing my holistic spiritual practices. So it's like holicious is all about uh, me, you know, developing this um, holistic lifestyle and inspiring people to do the same. So I'll be dancing and meditating and chanting and slapping and cooking and Sadie, my dog will be on there. Yeah. So it's been a vision and of mine for a long time and it's, it's coming to fruition. And talk about staying in faith during this time. It's really staying in faith that like, okay, I know I'm supported and I'm being held and everything is, is working out as it should be. And I have divine That's time right. because I've been going through roller coasters of when I hit my lows, which just happened like a couple of days ago. It's like, I can't do this. You're crazy. And I can't remember, <laughs> you've done hard things before, you That's know, right. a couple restaurants. Can do like, it. I can do it. Like there's no turning back now. I've got an amazing team and just leaning into the, the faith. And that's where meditation and my faith really helps me. Yeah. And you've earned it. I mean, your entire life has been this work and up yeah. until now, you know, it's really amazing yeah. to see unravel. And I, I don't even know if this is a good question now because of what you just said brings me joy for you, but what, um, is bringing you joy today? Is it this continued creation, this creative process? Yeah, I would say what definitely brings me joy is when I'm in the kitchen creating. Mm. So today I got to do it. And actually today is the nine-year anniversary of Source Formosa. Today so, is? Today is the nine-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> oh my God, thanks. I was like so emotional this morning mm. and all the love and support from all of my followers and customers has been amazing. And so seeing their happiness and what you know I do and my team does for them, that brings me so much joy. I mean, the letters and oh. the emails and the texts I get, like that keeps me going because this business is hard. And mm-hmm. then when I'm in my flow and creating, when I got to create all the uh, 30 recipes, it just, it happened so quickly for Halicious. That was so fun. You know, it was hard. It was a lot of work, but it was so fun. So it creating this show, I have to remember, like come back into my joy mm-hmm. um, and, and remember my vision and my mission that that's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, you're such an inspiration. And um, like Amanda mentioned, you've joined us, thank goodness, on a couple of our calls and cooking with some of our younger girls. And I know that I love taking tips from watching you cook. Is there one tip, just selfishly, that you would share, right? Um, I'm thinking of one, but I'm curious what you would say. One food tip that you could give us or healthy tip. Yeah. So I think that this is really good because we're in the holiday season and people kind of lose themselves mm. now and New Year's and are basically like, screw it, right? And then at mm-hmm. New Year's, it's, everyone's like the quick fix. So my tip is as much as you can, this is a self-care thing too, is really try to pre- set your week up for success with some sort of meal prep or not even pre- prepping, just planning. If you know you're going to be at a party Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night and you don't know what you're going to eat, then maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you take it easy, right? Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're doing a little bit more plant-based or maybe you know that you have some steamed vegetables and some grilled fish in the fridge, like some hard-boiled eggs, you know? And I think the other thing, because we're in party season right now, like for me, if I am invited to a social events, especially if it's like two in a two in a row, 
I might have some hard boiled eggs or some veggies or some avocados, some fat and protein before I go out. Because if I get there and all I have is dairy, gluten and sugar, I'm going to starve. And then I'm probably going to pick it like the potato chips mm-hmm. and I'm feel like crap. So it's really like, don't go in without your armor. That's what I tell people because I people like will say, oh my God, but I showed up at the party and all they had was like gluten and sugar and I came home sick. And it's like, well, you've got to like, I mean, I'm the girl that has like eggs and freaking, um, Food. In your purse. Yeah. I can't care. So take care of yourself and like watching the week. Like if you have a busy week and you're a stress eater and you're running around grabbing, grabbing processed food, like have something that you can either buy or have in your fridge. It's all, all about planning right now. And it takes a lot of work. But yeah, that's my biggest tip. What, <sighs> what was yours, Amy? I was going to say, because I love how you sneak spinach and veggies into oh, yeah. everything. <laughs> And the the recipes we've made with you are so that. delicious with spinach yeah. in them. The yeah. baked macaroni. Oh, my that's gosh. So it's good. so good. Yeah. Um, but I think that's so important because those tips you just gave are so simple. And so you think, oh, no, I know that. But people don't know that. And it's no, such a good reminder. They don't know that. And this is where we get into trouble. And even me as a chef and with all the food I could possibly eat at my restaurant, if I don't plan every week, then all of a sudden I'm shoving stuff in my mouth because I'm starving and it's on the plane. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And then at the end of the day, I feel bloated or constipated or gassy or tired. And I didn't have enough protein or too much fat. And it's just, it doesn't work for me. So especially in the holiday season, um, it's, you know, and there's extra alcohol, extra sugar, extra processed food, extra treats. And again, it's, it's balanced, like go out there and indulge and have fun. It's the holidays. We don't want to restrict. Right. Um, but you can, there's a, it's a delicate dance. I'm so guilty of that, of not planning. And then I, I'll just work nonstop all day, Amber. And then I binge later on because I'm starving. So that was a good tip for me too. Yeah. And it's realistic. I mean, it doesn't matter what I have, but if I just have something I can grab, I can do that really quick. (laughs) Yeah. Have some nuts or some boiled eggs or some berries or a couple spoonfuls of almond butter. Sometimes I'll just grab an avocado when I'm starving. I'll like half an avocado and some apple. And at least that got me through my snack time. So I'm not just like standing in front of the fridge, you know, putting bison down my throat. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, Amber. Well, you are just such a gift, uh, truly, to me as a friend and to everyone in all, everyone's life you touch. Truly, truly. Like such an incredible human. And um, we're going to share, obviously, Amber's information in the show notes and to find her at Chef Amber LA on Instagram and um, your website. And then that's where people will be able to order your books, correct? Okay, good. That's amazing. Um, and we, we'd like to end on this final question. And this is, if you, your 15-year-old self came up to you today, this amazing woman that you are, um, and said, what do I do? What is the number one thing you would want them to know? A 15-year-old asking, so me giving the 15-year-old advice. Yeah, your 15-year-old self. Oh, my gosh. I know. Um, so my adult self giving my 15-year-old Yes. Advice. Yeah, I would say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I would say um, you are perfect the way you are. You are beautiful. You don't have to change anything about yourself. Please don't compare yourself to other women, um, your body is exactly as it should be right now and love yourself. And that's what I would say. Cause nobody mm. really said that to me mm. ever, ever. Nobody, really like, you're, you know, me you're too. perfect right now. You don't have to change anything. Like mm. just 
that's it. Um, and it's so simple, right? But it is. It's so simple that when I speak to girls in their teens and when I've done calls with mm-hmm. you girls, with your girls, you know, that's what I always am like, girls, you guys are all beautiful and perfect right now. You guys are, don't try to change anything to, to be like someone else. Mm. That makes me emotional. We're all, I know, me too. We're mm-hmm. also beautifully different. We all don't, you know, we're also beautifully different. You know, we're, what happens if we all look the same? How boring oh. would it be if we all look the same? It's so boring. So I always yeah. say that. Like, how boring would it be if we yeah. all look the same? That's um, right. Right. So yeah. That's, that's so I think that's huge. And for boys and men, I can't tell you a lot of my friends have sons and they are trying to lose weight. Oh no, it's we always forget about the men and I yes. have male friends now and like there's this I mean, they they need to have abs and they, they as adults. They're like mm-hmm. and, and and my in twelve step, there was a ton of men with eating disorders, but it's always focused on women. Mm-hmm. Men binge restrict and starve themselves and throw up. They do all the things too. It's just it's focused. Everyone thinks that like women have the eating disorders. And right. like can't forget about the men. That's right. <laughs> men, Absolutely. Men have got it too. I mean, I wrote my books for men and women of any gender because because everyone's got body stuff, right? It's not yes. just but men can hide it easier because their metabolism is faster. So they can binge and then they can go to the gym and they can, they, they can hide it. I mean, that's a good point. And it is not a myth, right? That they do lose faster. I mean, oh, it's my male friends. I mean, are you kidding me? They're they're like, yeah, like I can binge my butt out and go to the gym for two days and be gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so cool though, that you know what it's like. You went through three decades of it. You can speak about Mm. it now and help people with solutions, which is so cool. It's not like, yeah, we're all different, but you've been where they are. So Mm -hmm. you can at least relate and help people out. So I'm so happy you've decided to pay it forward now with your experiences. It's so cool. I love it. Thank you so much, Amber. We're so excited to have you you girls and this was amazing thank you for having me on connecting we adore you thank you so much for joining us and for listening to this episode please share with your friends and family and don't forget to follow we're looking forward to the next episode we'll talk to you soon